Hey everyone, I'm Serena. And I'm Tina, and we are the Mental Health Mamas. Welcome to No Need to Explain. We are so glad you're here. First, as always, a quick disclaimer. We come to you not as mental health professionals or experts in the field, but rather as the parents of kids who struggle with their emotional health. If you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis, please seek professional support. You'll find a variety of resources in our show notes and on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. Welcome to part two of our two-part interview with our guest, Randy Silverman. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, we recommend that you start there. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the idea that uh, you speak about turning your pain into purpose or what some people might call your why. Mm -hmm. And certainly something that these soul sisters can relate to, right? Um, We want you to talk a little bit about that pain purpose. Why? uh, As well as a bit about your organization, the youth mental health project. Well, um, thank you for asking that. Uh, as you may ha- know from watching the film, mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert for anyone out there who hasn't seen the <laughs> film and wants to watch it, um, the, the, um, the mother does not die from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I am a breast cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. That was a true, true part. That's a true part of my own story. And, um, and when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I underwent nine months of chemotherapy and multiple surgeries, I was surrounded by support and help. Surrounded. Mm-hmm. I mean, the flowers, mm-hmm. the casseroles, right? And it was lovely, but it made me kind of angry mm-hmm. because all I could think about was where was this when I really needed it? Mm-hmm. When my son wouldn't leave the house mm-hmm. for two years and I couldn't find school and he had no friends anymore. I mean, things were so awful. I mean, I would sit in the chemotherapy chair for the rest of my life every day if I could take away the pain that my son mm-hmm. endures, honestly, and, mm-hmm. and, and everything that he went through as a child, which was so horribly unfair mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought, wait a second, I remember when cancer was the C word, particularly breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And for those of you listening who are too young to remember, this is a true fact. There didn't used to be pink ribbons Mm -hmm. everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? It used to be, she has cancer, Mm -hmm. but the C word, Mm -hmm. they'd they'd call it the C word Mm -hmm. because, and whisper it like, and you weren't supposed to talk about it. Um, And now football players are wearing pink ribbons. I mean, it's everywhere. And I thought, wait a minute. How did that change in my lifetime? And how it changed was that families, brothers, sisters, daughters, mothers, stood up and said, we will no longer hide in the shadows and be ashamed when we have breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Because if we start talking about it, we can promote a public health campaign. Um, We can teach them about mammograms and and self-care and you know, because of that, millions and millions and millions of dollars have gone into research. And I am a survivor because of that, because Mm -hmm. mine was caught early enough from a mammogram. Mm -hmm. And had I not done that, I would not have survived. Mm -hmm. And so that's because family stood up. And so 
when I was struggling, when I was, when I was fighting breast cancer, I thought to myself, we have to do this for mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Why on earth there are, as you know, I think 80 million Americans who struggle with mm-hmm. mental health disorders, right? There are approximately, and this, this statistic is maybe a couple of years old, but at the time I researched the, the American Cancer um, Association said there were approximately 2 million breast cancer survivors and people undergoing treatment mm. for breast cancer in any given year versus 80 million mm-hmm. America, right? So we need, you know, to get loud. And so we need to stand up and fight for this. And so that really at that moment in time became my mission. How can we change the dynamics in our culture so that we can talk about mental health, mental illness, mental health disorders, whatever you want to call it, as easily as we can talk about cancer now mm-hmm. and any other physical health condition. So that, that was the beginning of my, of my real journey into mental health advocacy. And, and during that time, I, I again, you know, big researcher and reader, and what I discovered was that Half of all lifetime cases of mental health disorders start before the age of 14 years old. And if that's true, and it is, um, and one out of five kids struggle with a mental health disorder, we need to start talking about kids' mental health or youth mental health in order to get to prevention and early intervention. If we wait and we do, what we do is we're a, a, a society of crisis intervention and, and we're trying to stop the crisis, but how are we going to really reduce suicide rates and really, really make an impact if we're ignoring the steps we need to take for early intervention and prevention, which is taking care of children's mental health. Mm-hmm. So I became very involved in every mental health organization I could possibly find and think of. I started going to all the national conferences. And what I discovered about, this is about seven years ago, was that at the time, there were no organizations that were completely invested in youth and just the topic of youth mental health. And by youth, I, I mean, 26 and under. Mm-hmm. There were some, some that had some focus on young adults, and there's some great organizations that are focused on college mm-hmm. kids. Um, and we're starting to see some movement prior to the pandemic into the high school area. But at the time, and, I, and then I made the movie, and I went to the big national organizations, and I said, look, I have this movie. I'll come, you know, I'll come volunteer. I'll work for you for free, but we need to talk about kids. And many of them said to me, Randy, the world is not ready for that. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, darn, I do not want to start a nonprofit mm. organization. <laughs> That's really hard work. Um, but I felt like I had to because uh-huh. no one was doing it. <laughs> and so that's sort of how the Youth Mental Health Project started in a nutshell mm. is, okay, if there's no one else out there doing the work, focusing on children, then someone has to stand up and do it mm. and, and, and be the face. So anyway, again, long story. <laughs> nope, not at all. So I, so I do want to ha- have you, so there are lots of resources on your website and uh, lots of great 
things happening with the project. And one of those things um, is support groups for families. So talk yes. just a teeny bit about that. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try not to go on so long this time. <laughs> um, uh, as I said, I, I started a support group out of my house about 16 years ago with, with this one other mom I met. I met one other mom who had a kid like mine and meeting her made all the difference in my life. It really did. Mm. It, it, it just changed the traje- trajectory of how I saw things and how mm. I felt about things. And so we started a support group and, you know, this is before Facebook and the internet and hundreds over the years, hundreds and hundreds of families came. I mean, people would drive two hours to come to the support group, mm-hmm. which we ran twice a month. Um, sometimes we'd have 40 people in our houses. Mm. Um, and so when I, when I wrote the movie and I started the youth mental health project and I was, I, I, I do a lot of public speaking I was traveling around the country doing public speaking on children's mental health and everywhere I went, there'd be a line of parents to talk to me afterwards and say, I'm the only one. You're the only one I've ever met. They're like, you know, secretly whispering, and, you know, I, we don't have mm. any support here. And I thought. You, you're mm-hmm. all standing in line here. You d- introduce yourselves to each other. Mm-hmm. Of course, I did. I mean, I didn't do that because that's you. I would break confidentiality. But I realized, <laughs> you know, why why isn't there a support group in every community? I mean, there's an AA in every right. community. There are breast cancer support groups in every community. You're right. And right, you know where mm-hmm. to find your people for almost any issue, mm-hmm. but this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it took us two years, sat down and wrote and developed a replicable, scalable program to bring support groups into every community. Um, and so that launched two years ago. It's called the Parent Support Network. And in the first year, just by word of mouth, we were in 10 locations in five different states. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to virtual because of the pandemic. And now we're in every state in the country virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have increased our, you know, we train our parent volunteer facilitators. Mm-hmm. It's a parent to parent program, parents helping parents. We learn our best everything from other parents. Mm-hmm. We do. We find, mm-hmm. and, and yes, yeah, searching for resources and doctors and how, how do you handle it when this happens or schools mm-hmm. or Sedonis, right? We, we just get our best information from other parents. And so the, that's what the program is meant to be. It's a support program for parents to help other parents navigate this journey. And I have so many parents who who sometimes find it if they, you know, later, well, I wish I had this. A lot of our volunteers are moms like us mm-hmm. who feel like if they had had this themselves, it would have made a difference. And so how can I now, or maybe they did go to some kind of support and, and they're like, we want to mm-hmm. give back and help other people through their journey. And so it's, it's, um, it's been, an, it's been really incredible. My goal is to really have it when we go back into person in every community. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone out there who knows anything about AA, it started with, you know, these two guys, Bill and Bob, mm-hmm. and their wives, who were really important behind the scenes. And now it's, you know, AA is everywhere and it's changed the face of addiction. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so 
we have to support each other first. It's very hard to stand up and educate and and be proactive about, you know, any kind of green ribbon movement like breast cancer when you're still dealing with crisis. Mm -hmm, And 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 also, uh, it's, it's open to parents who maybe don't know right? You don't have to have, your child doesn't have to have a diagnosis to go to the support group. You you can be a parent of a child and you're just worried and you don't know, is this Mm -hmm. something that I should be worried about or is, you know, what's Mm -hmm. going on? And so a lot of parents come, you know, certainly there are parents who come who have kids who have diagnoses and are in crisis, but there are a lot of parents who come who just don't know and, and they're looking for information. So, um, and we're growing. So we just started to, we started to separate into, not separate, we have general meetings, but we also have meetings for kids of 16 and under, for parents of kids 16 and under. We have uh, special meetings for parents of young adults. Um, we are starting a grandparent meeting pretty mm-hmm. soon. Um, and we're hoping the more volunteers we get on board, the more we will mm. be able to kind of have specific topic or um, population types of meeting in addition to our regular open meetings that are open to anyone. So it's very exciting. It is super exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think what I will acknowledge most is the validation, that validation of parents as as their own experts and the connection that those support groups provide. It's it's it really does shift people um, into a place of power, really, right? To to be mm-hmm. able to do that. So so let's shift a bit a little bit right this second to, to talk about come kind of bring it back to us. Mm-hmm. And we know that taking good care of ourselves is totally vital. It is not a choice, um, mm-hmm. vital for our own well-being. So we're curious about your take on self-care. Oh my goodness. Well, when I was in the thick of it and my children were young and during the, mm-hmm. particularly during the two or three years that my son was really, you know, just very ill between the ages of I think nine and 12, um, I, I, I did nothing for myself. I, I, I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the quote unquote time. Um, and sure enough, you know, when he went to residential treatment, I finally got my, picked myself up and started taking care of myself, went to the doctor and I had breast cancer. So, you mm. know, there are all yeah. sorts of theories about that. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's really when I, I realized, you know, and I have two other kids to take care of. So I really need to take care of myself because I cannot be helpful to my kids if I if I'm not strong as strong as I can possibly be at any given moment. Um, and self care looks different. It's a you know term that we're all using these days, right? It looks different for everybody. And and I think what's important is to try to figure out what it is for you. For some people, it's as simple as, you know, you know, 10 minutes of meditation or breathing, if you don't want to use the word meditation, or just being alone, or eating better. You know, it it doesn't have to be, I'm going to exercise every single day. And I'm going to, you know, you don't have to put yourself in this major healthcare regimen, you have to acknowledge that you're an independent individual person too. 
And it's okay to take time, to take a breath, to not cook dinner, to hide in your room for a half an hour, right? It's okay. And, and whatever that is at any given point is really important because you, when I started really acknowledging my own pain, my own, my own issues, um, and that was both through therapy and taking care of myself physically. And I started taking medication because I was very depressed about everything that was happening and very anxious. And, you know, I found my own ways of helping myself and, and the world changed for me. And I was really such a better parent. Uh, I, I mean, such a better parent. And, and then was able to take on the work that I'm doing now. Um, I couldn't mm -hmm. do the work that I do for other families if I wasn't taking time to make sure I'm taking care of myself. I do have to admit, I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty bad as you as I told you I fell two weeks ago and I mm -hmm. crushed my elbow and needed surgery and and you know people my my mm. team laughs at me sort of I mean not really and they say well maybe someone's telling you to slow down and take it easy I literally <laughs> have one hand to use I can't do anything and I thought okay I guess I need to you know take some quiet time um, and so sometimes you you do have to listen to your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Your body will tell you. So we have one last question for you today. We believe families know what they need. We know what we need. And often we like to ask the miracle question. So here it is. Uh -oh. If the world were <laughs> just, I know, I know. Uh -oh. What are you going to ask me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So if in your perfect world, right, if the world were just the way you wanted it to be, what would that be like for you, for your family, for the schools, for the community? And again, I know this is a huge question, but what are there a couple like themes that you, you imagine like this is the this this is what we all need? Yeah, I I envision a world where we have the tools and knowledge and resources necessary to take care of our mental health mm. as, as readily and easily as we take care of our physical health. That we're able to not only just talk about it or have awareness or have knowledge, but then that we have the resources and tools. So, I mean, resources are a big problem and, and we don't mm -hmm. put enough money into the mental health system or into educating more trained mental health professionals. So, you know, people say all the time to me, you're all about teaching people and talking about it, but if there aren't any resources available, what's the point? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is yeah. a good question. Yeah. But then I say, well, how are we going to get those resources right. if we're never talking about it? And so you have to start somewhere, but in the ideal world, the vision is that. And in that world, you don't need the Youth Mental Health Project, mm -hmm. right? Because we, we all know where to go and what to do. And we, and we know how to not only strengthen our children's mental health and, and provide early intervention and prevention, like washing your hands for, for other, you know, infectious diseases, um, but we also understand the signs and the symptoms 
and then we know what to do about it. Um, so that, that to me is the ideal world. And I, I believe we can get there. There's a lot of work still left to be done. Yes. A lot of work. Yeah. But that's why we all do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And we are going to keep doing it for sure. So we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Uh, I think I can speak for both Serena and I when I say that you are certainly one of our soul sisters from the moment we met Mm -hmm. and (laughs) fellow mamas in mental health for sure. You've taken your pain and made so much good with an amazing movie and your service to larger organizations and certainly with your creation of the Youth Mental Health Project. Uh, the support you're, you're providing is invaluable to the parents out there. Yeah, you're awesome. Thank you. Yes, Thank you. Yes. And you guys too. I mean, first of all, I just, I love the name of your podcast. <laughs> I lo- know, even though I gave a lot of explanations, but really when you're with soul sisters, when mm-hmm. you're with the other mental health mamas, I love that too. <laughs> right. You don't have to explain because we know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's it's interesting when parents come to support group for the first time and they are hesitant to tell this story about their kid mm-hmm. running around the house because of the, a fork. <laughs> and then right. we, said, we, we promise there's nothing you can say that I have mm-hmm. not heard before. And they're shocked when it's true. When I, when I say, oh, wait till I tell you this story, you know, I mean, right. It's, it's important that we stick together because together we'll make a difference. And so I, I'm thrilled to find the two of you and all the good work you're doing, both with the pet podcast and, and the other things that you do in your life. And I hope we can continue to collaborate and, and do things together because you know, that's what we need. We need to spread yes. our mission to broader audiences and, and I just love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. It's great. It's a great oh, podcast. Yeah. So, so Randy, thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to um, connect and get to know each other better. So I'm just going to say you have an open invitation to join us again here on the podcast anytime you want. Thank you. Don't be surprised. Okay. You hear from me. <laughs> open invitation. We're, we're fine. So, uh, so podcast friends, we are as always very grateful to all of you for listening and supporting us. You can help us out by visiting Apple podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe, and please share with others. And this is your gentle reminder to take good care of yourself while you're also taking care of your people. Thanks for listening. Bye.